extra wonderful episode of Dragon Age 2. Ken, I'm Eric Van Allen, and I'm so excited to be here talking about Dragon Age 2 on Normandy FM. How are you feeling, Kenneth Shepard? I'm good. This is the episode I've been waiting for. This is? This is this yeah. is the one. Oh, this yeah, the you're one. right. You're right. Now that I think about it, I thought you were wrong, but you are right. No, you are correct. Uh, we get to recruit two very special people here today. Also, I have a fun little game I'm going to throw at you, Ken, that you did not oh, expect, shit. that you did not anticipate we were going to do. Uh, so mm-hmm. look forward to the end of the episode, uh, everyone here for that. <laughs> I don't like this. I don't like the uncertainty. It's going to be great. Don't worry. Um, Today, in our episode of Dragon Age 2, we're recruiting the last two party members that we have not recruited in the main cast uh, outside of Sebastian, who is... What did the the wiki say that I like tweeted out? It was like Sebastian is chased and cannot be fully romanced or whatever. Or like Um, we'll never sleep with Hawk. Yeah, yeah. Sebastian's off in purity land. We don't have him yet. Uh, But we're going to recruit two people who are arguably in the opposite uh, end of the spectrum from purity land. We have Fenris and Isabella. Uh, And in honor of Ken finally having his episode, we are not going to delay gratification. We are going to get right into it by talking about the Fenris uh, recruitment mission, which is actually... I, I, I will say this up front, okay? I'm gonna say it up front. Mm. I feel like I've said this before, but I gotta say it again just so y'all have context. The first time I played through Dragon Age 2, Fenris and Anders were probably my least favorite characters. Mm. Uh, I did not okay. like either one of them. Uh, I've already talked at length about my issues with Anders, but coming into it, my issues with uh, Fenris mainly revolved around I didn't remember much of his plot, and I felt like it didn't really go anywhere uh i remember feeling a lot like other characters like meryl had very grand plots that were very centered around them as characters and i i felt like fenris was just kind of an angry dude who was always pissed off and also i was going the mage route and that could be a tricky thing to do with fenris uh Mm. for reasons that we'll get into this time around i will say uh at the point i'm at in the game I am liking Fenris a whole lot more. Uh, maybe it's just Hell me yeah. getting older and being more open to storytelling that is not just fantasy storytelling, ooh, look at all the, the dragons and such, but more character storytelling mm-hmm. and character building. Uh, you know, we all need to get a little bit older at times and our tastes change, mm-hmm. as, we, as, as they are wont to do. But also I find that Fenris ends up showing us a side of the mage templar conflict that we haven't really seen a lot of up to this point and it's the idea that i keep touching on uh in previous episodes that whenever mages are even accused of becoming blood mages they become blood mages right mm-hmm. it's it's like the almost self-fulfilling the, prophecy yeah i was gonna say like schrodinger's cat <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's the schrodinger's blood mage but um there there are both blood mages and no blood mages here but they're all going to be blood mages eventually um but the thing i find really interesting about fenris is that he shows us what an evil mage can look like that isn't this like comical cartoon villain of oh it's a slaver mage who is kidnapping all the you know we had this type of character in dragon age origins and the alienage and uh, 
I didn't I felt like it was a cartoon villain at times like like in that character mm. did not have much of a tie unless you had the city elf origin uh whereas here I think Fenris gives us like a greater rock to tie that narrative weight down to and also he through his character discussion we get to learn a little bit about what that experience is like but um can before we get into the actual like nitty-gritty of the beat by beat uh give me your thesis on why you like Fenris so much. Well, so as I said in previous episodes, I am a mage, like that is, you know, my character of Hawk. So coming into Dragon Age 2, when there was, you know, there's this friendship rivalry mechanic, it was interesting to get like my first taste of like the extremes of that and how different, like how very different those routes could be um with the character that ended up being my romance and it was it like despite the fact that i did enjoy it, it is also kind of the reason why fenris has maybe kind of like taken the back seat to other romances and bioware games in terms of like how much they mean how much they mean to me and how much i enjoyed them but what i i just really like kind of like pitting these two extremes against one another while also you know establishing through doing the romance that these two people care about each other despite being so diametrically opposed. Mm. And to me, that makes, like, one of the more interesting romance stories that I've ever kind of had in a Bioware game. And so, like, that's just... Like, along with everything you said about, like, him being this, like, kind of more nuanced take on, you know, the dangers of magic and, like, how it can be used to, like, put their power upon other people. And we'll especially talk about some of that, at, like, not necessarily in his recruitment mission, but, like, in the sort of aside that you can have with him if you take him to where the circle is. Um, I just, I like that he is this kind of gray in this universe that is not very good at portraying grays, I guess, we'll say that, or at least not necessarily by design, but more like a general failing on Dragon Age writing, which we've talked about, that they don't do a very good job of both sides in this, this issue. I I don't even know if I would describe it me personally as both sides. I feel like f- what I what I'm taking away from Fenris's story is that he makes me consider, and maybe I'm just repeating your your argument in a different way here, but he <laughs> he makes me consider that my own preconceived notions about the world might be wrong, uh, mm. or or that they they might be correct, but that I don't have a full understanding of why I feel that way. Uh, because if we want to talk about greater stances in life, uh, there's a difference between having a stance and believing in it and having a stance, believing in it and understanding why you believe in it. And I feel Mm -hmm. like a character like Fenris pushes me to escalate to that next level of not just Mm -hmm. mage, you know, I'm on the side of the mages, but I'm on the side of the mages understanding that there are, problems with the mages and having that like greater breadth of understanding and also acknowledging that just because i support say the mages of kirkwall that are being held down by the templars and and this like system that is built to confine them to the lowest depths of kirkwall does not mean that i support these slavers in the taventer imperium and and it it just forces me to understand the world in a broader context and allows Mm. the writers to contextualize the broader context of the world because i feel that is one one place where dragon age can so often fall into a pitfall in writing is to 
portray these factions, um, these sides as being monolithic and being, mm. uh, and I feel like even Mass Effect to some extent can do this as well. Uh, you know, like you have the the Krogan who are all super gruff and they're all warriors who just want to fight and kill and fuck the Genophage. <laughs> and mm. uh, but then you get a character like uh, the the scientists that you meet or um, the 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 mother. I feel so bad for the the matriarch, matriarch, right? In Mass Effect Three, what which one? The Cro the Krogan matriarch. Oh, uh, I, Eve. Eve, yeah, um, where you get characters like that who either break that norm or twist that norm, but I feel like Dragon Age, especially Dragon Age 2, is at its best when it's just presenting you with all these different views and viewpoints. It, it really does feel like I felt by the, by the time I was finished recruiting all the characters, I was just looking at the characters that I had, and I feel there are two distinct things about this cast and one is that it reminds me a lot of mass effect 2's cast in that every character is an outcast in some way every character does not fit in with the environment where they're supposed to be you know and, and mm. they end up coming to to your character and banding with you because all of you are characters who feel out of place uh, mm. i felt that very much in mass effect 2 i feel that a lot in dragon age 2 but also uh I feel like there has been a very deliberate attempt to show as broad a picture of this conflict as possible. And obviously that's a storytelling device to be able to say, like, when you get to that point where you have to shove it into one side versus the other side, and everybody's got to start choosing which line, which side of the line they're going to fall on, that lets you have those larger conflicts. You know, it lets you have that moment where it's like, hey, Fenris is not going to want to side with the mages. <laughs> you're, mm. going, you're going to have to work a little bit harder and make some really compelling arguments to get him on the <laughs> side of the mages. Uh, yeah. But that ends up making what would otherwise just be an A choice or a B choice feel so much richer and so much more narratively fulfilling. Not that I'm, I meant to start this episode off by going on this really deep, <laughs> like, this is why Dragon Age 2 works. <laughs> but I feel like Fenris is, has become that character for me, where I'm, I'm finally starting to feel that sort of depth around the conflict. And a lot of it starts with, we go to see Aveline. Aveline, the cop. <laughs> mm. Um we we haven't really talked too much about Aveline at this point. Um, she does have a side quest that we haven't talked about. I did we want to talk about that this episode? We didn't talk about it oh, last I mean, episode. We probably should. I mean, there's not really a, any other great place to do it, and it's not that long, so it won't. We'll talk about it. Us. We'll talk about it after the Fenris recruitment mission. Let's okay. do that. Um, All right, that works. But, anyways, uh, as we have not talked to Aveline for a while. Uh, apparently we haven't been talking to her at all during this this gap in time uh it's she's feeling stressed she has fully become a city guard a uh, member of the kirkwell city guard and she's just frustrated with the amount of bad stuff that's going on but right away she starts just giving us jobs which already I'm feeling a little bit like, okay, Aveline, yeah, let's do some vigilante justice. You mm. can't get stuff done. Let's get stuff done on the sly. Let's go. <laughs> mm. um, but 
I'm and I'm having to reread a bit because I forget the first part of this quest always confused me a little bit with how it, it played out exactly. So can you walk me through it because I'm suddenly having that mind blank where I'm like there was there were different letters and all of it's this big it's this big conspiracy to get a person to show up in a place because it's ultimately something concocted by Fenris. So it starts out, we get a, a letter from a guy... Oh, God, did I put... Yeah, his name's uh, Anzo? Anzo? Mm, one of the two. Uh, yeah. And he's like, Hey, I have been working with some smugglers who have maybe possibly stolen my goods that I'm trying to get into the city. Um, can you maybe just go handle that? There's a place in the alienage where they're supposed to be convening. Um, and... So we're like, okay, that sounds simple enough, but you seem very worried about us being here. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a, I'm newly a surface dwarf, so like everything here is scary and weird to me. And I'm like, okay, that sounds chill, that sounds fine. Um, what he kind of hints to us is that he's smuggling Lyrium to the Templars because that is a kind of recurring thing for the Templars that they need Lyrium, but they only get so much, but they're addicted, and it's a whole other thing. Um, so we had the alienage. We get there that we are immediately attacked, and uh, we, get, we actually get into get into the building though, and there's nothing in the box. Mm-hmm. So then we come back out, and then we're surrounded by a group of people that are like, "Wait, that's not the elf." And then another person says, "It doesn't matter who they were supposedly waiting for; they were supposed to kill who was ever led into the house." Is that, so is this, that yeah? I was say, is that is that table setting for you? Yeah, no, that, that's that's good. I always, th- I get this one mixed up with another one that ends up being a setup in a way. I think it's the one where, uh, if you had made Balin the the king in Dragon Age Origins, the Orzammar bit, you end up having a um, a quest for one of the Harrowmont relatives, I think, and it has sort of mm. a similar setup where you you get led under false pretenses to go meet with someone, but. I could be misremembering. This is the problem of doing all the side quests and main quests at the same time. <laughs> mm. uh, we run into these situations. But uh, Ken is here to save the day. Uh, <laughs> but it is this interesting setup because obviously we've been duped into doing this job that is not what we expected it. But then the elf does show up and it's Fenris. And immediately we we fight a bunch of the slaves initially and then as we're finishing off the last of them fenris shows up and one of them calls him a slave uh and then fenris has his own little glowy glowy moment and then really fucks that dude up (laughs) this bad situation all around um and we originally were supposed to be a distraction for fenris to be able to then ambush the people that are searching for him now he's realized that uh anzo ended up recruiting some pretty capable mercs and on the body of one of the people sent after fenris we find some information that the the slaver the tevinter magister who had formerly kept fenris uh enslaved is in kirkwall so fenris recruits us to go hunt him down and obviously both of us immediately on board right like yeah not messing around let's go fuck up some slavers honestly that's been like we've been doing a lot of fucking up slavers in in dragon age 2 so far and i gotta tell you that's a satisfying 
uh, quest to have. <laughs> it mm. feels really good. I get to go in. I'm not like, uh, oh man, you know, which I, I gotta fight these Templar. I don't know how I feel about fighting the Templar. You know, maybe they're they're just good people. No, I'm just I get to fuck up some bad people, and I get to feel good about it. Guilt free. Um, mm-hmm. Guilt free enjoyment. So we head into High Town once again. You know, disparity in class and all that. I'm not gonna stop hitting that. It's <laughs> it's. I just, I love the way this game handles it. Um and we sneak in during the night and go looking for denarius who is the tevinter magister that uh had held fenris and there's demons of course there's demons there's never not demons (laughs) kit the tevinter mages do love those demons um and we ransack through the place we fight a bunch of people fight a bunch of demons and uh no denarius to be found so the conclusion that we have here is fenris really pissed off an empty mansion with no denarius around and we kind of get an option about what we want to do here whether we want uh fenris to hang around whether we want fenris to hang around and how we feel about this whole situation in general so for me I'll go really quick on mine because I think your interactions are more interesting both because you are a potential romance but also because uh, you are a mage. <laughs> and so I'm interested to hear your takes on that. Mine were very, it was like, yo, thanks for helping me look for that stuff. You know, I'm going to be around in case you need me. And then I could like rebuff him and be like, uh, actually, you're a bit strange. Or I could be like, yeah, dude, always. And so obviously, mm. you know, Fenris, solid bro happy to have this bro on the team Mm. uh (laughs) i know i know you love me calling fenris a bro i know that makes you really happy right now (laughs) uh ken tell me a little bit about your experience with fenris here because i'm reading your notes and it sounds like it was much more interesting because of those reasons right so i don't i don't know if there's like an equivalent conversation if like say you have like anders or meryl in the party and he's confronts them maybe or like says something along the like oh so you work with mages or something along those lines he, he but, did say something about meryl he's a he said like oh but you're willing to work with mages or whatever and meryl was like but well, we're not all bad <laughs> it's a very meryl response right right so if you are playing a mage here uh fenris is kind of like i saw you casting spells so i have to like i want to know who it is that i'm working with here like what is it that you seek as a mage? Like, very very philosophical right out the gate. Mm-hmm. And you can answer things like power, uh, nothing, find out, or ask if this is a problem, or survival is another thing. Um, I ended up saying find out because that seemed like kind of like a tease, like a flirty sort of option. Um, he, I mean, like, his response was, like, not, like, super receptive to that, but then he realizes, like, I might seem like I'm being ungrateful to you, but I apologize, and... He does pay us, which I'm like, I didn't need that, because you're like, you're a fucking, you're a runaway slave, I don't expect you to have much, so you don't need to give me this, but, um, and then so yeah, like he s- says, I am gonna wait here in this mansion, yes. for us to come back, and be like, if he wants his mansion back, he's, come, he's free to come and try and get it. Um, so, there was, there, there's like, you know, you can kind of ask, like, why are you special? Like, why does he specifically want, you, like, why is he willing to come to Kirkwall? from Taventer to find you specifically. And he talks about these, like, lyrium tattoos that he has, which are 
part of the reason that he can sort of like phase through people and like rip mm-hmm. people's hearts out, which is like his go-to tactic, which solid move. Um, and so I'm like, he's like, he wants to rip Valyrian from my flesh. And I'm like, well, that seems like a waste of a perfectly handsome elf. And then, so like, sweet, and he's already sweet. like, yeah, and he, he's like a very stoic person in general anyway. So like, he kind of like blushes for a second and then like kind of tries to pick it back up. Um, I, and, but I do say to him, like, are you willing to help me, a mage, do all my various things here in the city? And he says, uh, you're not Daenerys, but I don't know I don't know if you're going to be anything like him, but I'm willing to, like, stick around and find out. Like, I'm not so blind to the fact that there is nuance in people that I don't want to, like, I immediately wanted to dissociate from you all f- because of your mage. Mm. So, that was pretty much that. <laughs> And but then, then you, you, had a, you have a little bit more here with um, the, I mean, for me, I think I got it right after I walked out. It like popped a quest marker back up. That was like, hey, go talk yeah. to Fenris again. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you go back in and he's like trashing this wine he found in the cellar and stuff. Mm. And he he has this really interesting dialogue that I think touches on some really, I'll say like heavy stuff because you mentioned it further down in your notes about the circle as well. But this idea of what Tevinter is interested in and so it Mm. it first comes up when Fenris is talking to you about how Daenerys would have Fenris serve the wine at his parties Mm. and it was like it was a power move it was like a power play because it's this oh it's this lyrium infused elven warrior who could like murder any one of you at any time but don't worry he's he's tamed he's you know he's not gonna hurt you he's not gonna well he's not gonna hurt Daenerys but he might hurt you and it's it's that like chained animal approach that's just so freaking skeevy and nasty Mm. and like makes my skin crawl and not to like jump too far ahead of ourselves I don't know how much time we're gonna spend talking about it but if you talk to Fenris while you're at the circle he touches on something about the idea that the magisters of Tevinter um become so obsessed with the idea of magic as power and growing as mages that you know they they start combining all these things of genetics and just like creating the perfect body creating mm-hmm. bloodlines and it's something that you don't see too much video game fiction tackle with like the only other game i can really think of off the top of my head is uh is again vampire the masquerade bloodlines uh, which has a lot of stuff about the like purity of a bloodline and the different generations of vampires and stuff like that, which God, I'm going to end up replaying that game again pretty soon, aren't I? <laughs> uh, it's really heavy subject material because obviously like we here in America have our own history of things right. with that. Um, and I feel like movie fiction has been willing to tackle it with things like, sorry to bother you and get out. But uh seeing a game try to tackle it i don't know if i'm far enough in or have thought about it enough to assess whether i think it's doing something interesting with it or not but it creates this really interesting dynamic for a character that i don't think we've had yet and fenris the way the way he phrases it like it just i think it contextualizes so much of why he has this rage because he's mm. just been his whole life has been 
that and and he touches on it again as you as you talk to him more during this wine conversation where you can ask like you know have you ever thought about just going home like Daenerys is not here you feasibly like it's been a while um you know you might have actually lost him this time have you ever thought about going back and Mm. uh he's basically like it's you know he's he could go back to his original Saharan is is where it was called, where he's mm-hmm. originally from. But he basically says like, there's nowhere that he really has to call home anymore. Right. Um, yeah. And so for me, I was kind of like, well, that's the same for a lot of us here in Kirkwall. So right. welcome to the family, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. For you, you got a little bit more flirtatious options mm-hmm. available. Yeah. I can say like the dynamic between, like especially like a humorous hawk and Venerous is like like say you got this person that's like always like ready to spontaneously combust and you've got this person that throws water on them like the second they start to like even like a little ember shows up on their hand because you know you got this person who both like in the, in the both flirting and just like generally speaking when you're just kind of having the regular dialogue stuff like you have this person that is like re- really quick to like diffuse the tension when he sees Venerous starting mm. to get like a little bit like you know he starts off he throws like the wine bottle against the wall and like you're like well we could have drank that and then he's like you're right we could have and you know it's a really kind of refreshing dynamic in its own way because Anders is sort of like it's meant to be the foil defenders but I also I don't feel like in the long run diffusing Anders really pans out in the way that it does with no. Fenris, like, where that, no. di- like, they are more of, like, you know, diametrically opposed people, and I think that also, like, there's a lot, a lot of layers to this relationship that I like a lot, just because they are so people that should not work together, but then mm. they yeah. always manage to anyway. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, I hadn't thought of that as, like, Anders and Fenris being the two opposite sides of this conflict, and, and like, kind of the the way that they oppose each other in that way like Fenris is very much like murder the mages they did terrible things to me uh they like used me as like a puppet and a freak show mm-hmm. attraction whereas Anders is like murder the Templars they turn my people into like brainless husks who can't remember who they are or feel emotion anymore it's like you get these two very opposite ends of what each extreme on each side can do and and so it it does like it balances out in a way that i guess i never really the first time i played this game i never really thought much about because i was very maybe it's because i was going in from that dragon age origins where i felt like the templar mage stuff was not as not even let's say balanced but let's say rationalized out and expanded out to that degree to where mm. you could have that breadth of knowledge it felt like for the most part origins wanted you to side with the mages both because it frequently resulted in the most optimal outcomes but also because i feel like outside of the elven alienage mages were usually portrayed as good people in that game mm. and the elven alienage was like the one time they threw something in there right. to be like oh yeah magic can be bad yeah. <laughs> and uh whereas you frequently had issues of i mean the first character you meet outside of alistair who you could call a templar i guess but isn't really a templar uh the first party character you get in this is an apostate mage 
and then mm. immediately after that um after you get through Lothering, you know you pick up some more characters there uh leliana and a character who i can't remember i don't know anyone who does <laughs> i'm kidding i'm joking um but a lot of people go to the circle then and they pick up win there and the circle itself the story of that the circle i think skews heavily in favor of the mages and mm-hmm. tells tells a story that is in their light and not necessarily the templar i mean the templars in the circle don't necessarily want to extinguish the mages outright they just think that that might be the only option left available to them until you show up uh so i feel like this game does a much better job of showing the breadth of what magic can can read especially Mm. and this is like important context none of this was caused by a demon which is the other thing that commonly gets thrown around when mages have gone bad it's oh there's a demon or a spirit involved it's like no this is just a person with magic and power who used it for evil there Mm. is no fantasy reason why this happened there's no incarnation of wrath or sloth or lust that made this happen it is just a bad person (laughs) right uh and I like that a lot. For me, that's giving me much more reason to like stop and have pause about some of these characters. Uh, and especially about certain issues with the mages. Uh, which I hope... Mm, God willing, if a Dragon Age 4 exists in this timeline, <laughs> and it really does truly go to Tevinter as the end of Inquisition could possibly tease, um, that they would explore that in detail considering the ways that they tackle it in the series leading up to that point i would hope so but uh do we want to talk a little bit a little bit more about the the fenris circle visit here i think if for no other reason than we need if he talks about like the specifics of Taventer and how it kind of operates and like in terms of its government and things like that which we haven't really had any other opportunity to talk about because you, you run it down for me because i actually have not seen this conversation in person i'm oh, just okay. aware um, of it but i did not see it in person right okay so if you bring Fenris to the circle, I, I don't know if Anders also has to be in there, but he does, like, make interjections in the conversation. But, like, you walk up, and then Fenris sees, like, you know, the gallows and, you know, all the uh, the towering statues of, like, people in chains and shit. And he's, like, immediately kind of, like, I've heard about the way the circle handles people outside of Tevinter. And, like, first she asks, like, if you're a mage, like, should you be here right now? Which, you know, valid point. Another weird thing that Dragon Age 2 doesn't, like, kind of glosses over a lot is that you can be playing as this apostate that just has the free, like, I mean, like in in later acts, sure, like, Hawk yeah. becomes a person of status. Right now, like, what what reason do they have to not drag you in right now? But I think later on it does make sense and, and actually right. adds to the commentary a little bit that, like, if you have enough power, nobody cares. Right. And there's even, like, a side quest in act one that comments on that as well but yeah Yeah. no i agree with you act one like very strange right so we kind of like get to ask him like what is the circle like in taventer because like we know there is some sort of circle over there at least there was at one point um he says at first it was kind of like it was here but eventually like they slowly like the, the mages slowly gained the power by first like the mages were allowed to be the people that like watched over other mages and teach them instead of having the Templars like always in the room watching where now the Templars almost became like 
the cops who, like, if you called 911, they would come, but they would not be, like, con- a constant presence for mages, like, their whole lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually that became the norm, and then once mages were, I guess, more accepted as citizens, then they were eventually able to make their way into government, and then eventually became the governing force. Um, and then, like, into Venter, having magic is already viewed as, like, you are, like, you, you, that's already, like, a sign of power, like, that you have over people that can help you ascend in status in all the ways that it can. Um, and then he talks about, like you said, that how magisters are now very concerned with, like, creating the perfect or preferred, like, bloodline, depending on, like, traits, uh, magical inclination, and arranging marriages and other stuff, and sounds like kind of... We'll, we'll get to talking talk more about the ways in which that can be weaponized against individuals in Inquisition, but yeah. here it's like we... He talks about, like, he, he learned all this stuff secondhand through Daenerys, and so... I get that, like, Fenris is, like, because of who he is, he is a former slave, under the rule of, you know, this really powerful and influential master might have a kind of skewed view on how things are, but I, I, it's not that I doubt the things he says, but I also acknowledge that there is probably a little bit more nuance that we are not going to get from Fenris, but we might get from other people. Um, but, so, like, he talks about how, like, it was the magic that these people had that made them able to ascend the way they did. So magic is inherently untrustworthy. And then I'm like, that's not how anything works. And then Anders is like, yeah, that's fucked up for you to say. You can't just say that about all of us. And then Fenris is like, he's, he says he sees no oppression here at the circle, just fear and death. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. It's got to, like... It is one of the things, like, I really sympathize with him and, like, the where he came from, but it's, like, the, all these blanket statements are just no good in my eyes. So, rivalry plus, like, 25. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm interested to see, especially from your perspective, like, how his character evolves, uh, mm-hmm. given all the, the rivalmancy and, and, and romance options. Uh, because I'm, I'm, I haven't landed on where I think, like, which route I'm going to take with him. I usually mm-hmm. end up friendship all of my characters that's I, impressive I, I rarely end up rivaling any of them so <laughs> i'm i'm pretty good at, at playing the game <laughs> <laughs> pretty good at appeasing everyone uh mm. or at least not bringing them along on missions where they might get mm. mad at me <laughs> uh although there are some that are like universal so um let's head to the hanged man Let's talk about... I, well, uh, hold on, hold on. i got to talk about Aveline a little bit. We don't need to spend a lot of time on this. But Aveline uh, does have her own little side mission, much like Bethany slash Carver did in uh, our previous episode. This one is not as intensive. Uh, right. It mostly centers around uh, some guards who are being attacked in the middle of their patrols. And we help Aveline investigate it and find that these patrols are being sent out with uh with certain cargo and they're going on unprotected routes through certain places and as we gradually begin to stop these ambushes we find out that the captain of the guard has been 
working with some of the cartels and such to basically has been corrupt and working with organized crime in Kirkwall. And Aveline quickly puts a stop to that and because of her actions ends up becoming the captain of the guard in Kirkwall, which is maybe one of the stranger leaps in this game mm. because I feel like they position her early on to very much be like, you know, desk cop working the beat but can't get a break and all that. And all of a sudden mm. it's like, oh, next in line, you're, you're guard of the captain of the guard you're really big mm. title you have an office and everything and i i almost wish that had been delayed a little bit like maybe pushed past the time skip uh would have been nice but yeah that's you know fair. things move along at a pace in this game <laughs> uh multiple paces yeah and and I, and I glossed over some of the details in her story because i don't feel like the actual quest itself is very in-depth or interesting but i there feel is... that we do, we do need to mention that there is one guy that we do save who... Yes. Uh, uh, what, is his name Dominic or Donic? It's one of the two. Yes. He's, he's yes. one of okay. them. He's, he's, he's that, the dude. Yeah. Just know that we, like, save that guy, and he's going to be important later. Yes, he, he will show up later. But but for right now, the the other big thing is that I feel like this quest is mostly about helping Aveline get past what happens in in Ferelden with uh mm. with wesley we- mm-hmm. wesley yes mm-hmm. and I, I was like he's got a really dumb name <laughs> um sorry to all the wesleys out there listening but i i remember thinking that wesley was a was an odd name for a templar in a fantasy that was the first point where i was like oh we're using normal names for people again instead of like Harrowmont and stuff like that. Like we're not doing fantasy names anymore. This is just Wesley. He's just a dude that walked out of the UK. You know, he's just hanging out. He's Wesley. Um, th- this is us trying to help Avli and kind of get over that and get past Ferelden. And there's a lot of good dialogue discussion in it where you can, I guess, kind of shape how you feel your hawk feels about leaving Ferelden behind because Avli mm-hmm. does ask some stuff about whether you've ever thought of going back and all that now that the the blight is over um there there's one there's a line at the end of this quest after she becomes captain of the guard and she's like oh you know this will mean a lot more work for me and i, I just kind of be like you know you love it <laughs> stuff like that yeah. and i i end up liking Avli a lot more at the end of this quest line just because i i feel like she is maybe one of the few times that i've liked a character who is very much um i'm trying to stay within the bounds of the law and do the law right while also like being able to bend it when necessary mm. um i find that a lot of aveline's approval stuff ends up surprisingly lining up with my hawk just when yep. i when i make those choices just because she it feels like her primary motivation is very much justice and all that but also getting justice in the best way possible with the fewest amount of casualties as possible but also she's willing to like stab a slaver in the face <laughs> like, right. I, I feel like Aveline is the best possible cop style character they could have put in this game mm. uh, that's that's about all my thoughts on it I, you know we don't need to talk too much because I feel like Aveline's stuff is, is very much uh it happens later in the story because right now right. we're focusing a lot on rec- recruiting these characters and getting into the deep roads. Um, yeah. She doesn't get much of a focus here. She gets more of a focus later. Um, let's talk about Isabella. Let's go to the hangman. Hell where yeah. 
Isabella is beating the ever-loving shit out of a dude named Lucky who gave her bad information. Don't know why you do a thing like that. Uh, the introduction of Isabella is really fun for Origins players, I think, mm. because if yep. you recall her character at all, she is one of the more memorable, like, very tucked-away NPCs in that game. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that she references all this stuff from origins about ferelden about antiva about all these different places it feels like a clever way of tying those things back in and giving a little Mm. bit of a nod to origins players um yeah the weird thing is though despite the fact that she makes a really strong first impression in this scene she's optional like yes and completely optional and also despite her being like a really key character in act two she's optional i don't understand I don't get it. Like, I, that is technically, interesting I, to me. That's that. Like, te- I yeah. think that's an interesting choice, though. Like, I technically, know. she. I, I don't know. Like, I. I guess I like the idea that like a character can have long-standing consequences to things that are happening, regardless of whether they are like in your field of view at any mm-hmm. given time. Mm-hmm. But it's also just like she's not easy to miss, but like that she is even missable. Like, has like makes my heart race a little bit for anybody that might not have like stopped to talk to her in time or like thought oh i'll handle that later and then got dragged to the deep rows and like just misses her it's like a it's a very strange thing especially because she is considered like one of the faces of this game like in like the cinematic trailers she's like the canon love interest for hawk and it's like a weird i don't know it's just like ultimately doesn't really ultimately doesn't really affect me because like i always get her and i'm always like hell yeah let's go on fucking kirkwall pirate adventures like for the next seven years fine but it's just a weird thing, because, like, I always wonder, are there people that missed her? Like, hmm. but there are characters in Mass Effect who are the same way, though. Like, you could miss... I mean, even in Dragon Age Origins, like, you didn't have to get Sten, you didn't have to get Liliana. Like, there are ways to miss those characters. Um, and, and for some of those characters, it can be as simple as, I didn't do the quest. Like, you have to go out of your way to talk to Sten and then do the quest for Sten to get Sten in your party. And I feel yeah. like it would be feasibly easy to overlook that or just feel like i'm not coming back to this town why would i bother and you leave and then loathering gets overrun and that's that (laughs) and you're you're moving right along and um not that sten sten is not nearly as critical to the story of you are right in that isabella is extremely critical in specifically the plot two or or plot of act two in, in dragon age two and I can't think of any other character off the top of my head that that's critical with maybe the exception of some of the Mass Effect 1 characters if you kept carrying that save forward. Because uh, I think... Who is it that you can't re- you can miss recruiting in Mass Effect 1? It's uh, Rex. Garrus and Rex. Yeah, Garrus and Rex. So yeah, not recruiting Garrus would be a pretty big one, even though you then eventually have to recruit him anyways in Mass Effect 2. But uh, Rex, you could have not recruited... And then I actually don't know what happens if you don't recruit Rex and then you go into Mass Effect 2 and 3. Is he still... Is is he still... Or like, is he still I'm the, pretty the sure leader he, of the I'm pretty sure he just dies, like, off-screen. He just or dies like, off-screen. And then say you're stuck with Reeve the whole time. Man, that sucks. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, you could end up in a situation like that where you miss out on... Maybe not... You know, I love Rex... But compared to how much Isabella plays into the plot of Act Two, it's maybe not as critical as Rex ends up being outside of um, the 
the one Tichanka mission. Uh, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I haven't thought about that. But Isabella is definitely the best. Uh, she immediately flirts with the character. I feel like she does this no matter who you are. Like, she just mm-hmm. flirts right away. Um, mm-hmm. My Lady Hawk, being chaotically horny as she is, is, is open to this. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is the part of the game where I went... I, I was going into this, I was like, okay, Meryl, Meryl, we're romancing Meryl, and then Isabella flirted with my Lady Hawk once, and it's, like, <laughs> we, we talked about how sarcastic Hawk plays off of different characters very well. I feel like there is a frequency in the air, like an audio frequency, and the only two people on it are Hawk, like, sassy Hawk and mm-hmm. Isabella, and they just... Mm-hmm are exactly in tune and they play off of each other so yep. well in so many cutscenes. it's really really good so um big fan of that that's definitely complicated my dragon h2 romance is a fair mm. bit <laughs> and i think it works even still like if you're not romancer she's like especially if you like, if you are playing the, the sassy funny hawk because like i always kind of <laughs> viewed my hawk as well as like really tight-knit like close friends thick as thieves kind of that dynamic and so like even when she is like she's because after this mission she kind of doesn't overtly flirt anymore that i recall unless you, uh, like, there, you, you know, do start... have one option like way later on that we'll talk about which is kind of the point where i was like uh i might end up playing the love triangle game a little bit myself too <laughs> but, yeah. um yeah no it's it's really just in it doesn't start in earnest until later right. i feel um I feel like that's most romances early this early on. The, yeah. That's the other thing I like is that the romance, because of the nature of this game, is very paced. Because uh, by by the point I got to Lothering in Dragon Age Origins, and keep in mind there is all of about maybe ten minutes between the the woods in Origins and getting to Lothering. Alistair was all I'd already done a bunch of conversation options with Morgan that got a ton of approval and so Alistair already had the ambient dialogue of being like so what's going on between you and him and like mm. it was so like just putting that on the rails already and you, I think you can feasibly like full-on romance Morgan within like the first campaign mission of that game and that just feels strange i think i know we Mm -hmm. talked about how in dragon age 2 they do a really good job of making it feel like a relationship lasts for a long period of time and okay of having a relationship that doesn't end in the smangin but Mm -hmm. uh like exists outside of just that end goal whereas in mass effect they always do that we do have issues that we'll talk about with how those relationships progress through time skips Mm -hmm. but uh it's that is one thing I like that Dragon Age does, but I didn't feel it was very well done in Origins, that at least they pace out a little bit better in 2. Uh, anyways. Uh, we're... We do get to talk with uh, Varric a little bit here. I think... I want to say we talked about this in a... I thought we talked about this in the first episode. I don't just... think so. Mm-mm. Because this, is, this would be after um, we've uh, gone to the Enders. Uh, okay, yeah. And we... we get to just talk a little bit about his family this is where we learn that he was born on the surface which i think is mm. an interesting part of Varric because we have not met any characters i think so far that were born as surface dwarves i think all of them including like bodon and sandal uh were mm. all born underground so yeah. 
uh, yeah, he's always been kind of the outcast of his family. Where Bartrand is the the older brother. Uh, Varric is the one who kind of like keeps him in line and and maybe yeah. stop you know saves him from his lesser demons. Let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but once we're done hanging with Varric, we head out to High Town to help Isabella out because she's been looking for she's been looking to settle some unfinished business we, we don't yet know what that is but uh where she's being pursued by a dude named hater uh all of really a lot of the people that we're working with are being pursued in some way or another mm. <laughs> they've all made somebody angry um yep. and and one like key point that I, I think we should touch on real quick before we get into the, the nitty-gritty of that is that she does not have a ship at this point. Um, she says mm. that she is Captain Isabella, but that doesn't really mean anything right now because she doesn't have a ship. Uh, once we go to Hightown, uh, we run into a bunch of bandits, mess them up, head to the head to the Chantry, and then Hater is waiting there for us. Hater is working for her. I always say this name wrong, and when they said it in the game, I was like, okay, try to remember the phonetics of this. Castillon? Castillon. Castillon. See, it's the double L's throw me every time. Castillon. Uh, Isabella, let's say, lost a relic that Isabella was supposed to be transporting for Castillon, and also let some slaves go. Um so now we know that isabel is maybe into some deeper shit than we thought because i i thought this was an interesting dynamic because we had that choice at the very beginning of the game to say whether we wanted to work for a mercenary group or work for smugglers and the smugglers were like hey look we don't deal in skin you know we don't deal Mm -hmm. in flesh we don't deal in humans um and the fact that we've got this awesome badass character who now we suddenly learn like oh you were transporting slaves like it's maybe not great um so we get we get into a fight and we we kill hater and all of his goons and uh we we know that this is bought isabella sometime but castion will continue coming after her and and basically her only option is to find the relic to make it right we get to work a little bit more on what that is essentially like what was happening here we learned that the slaves were ferelden refugees uh who were trying to get away from the blight uh and got basically it sounds like pressured into servitude by castion and isabella freed them and i i've always been hazy on this and maybe this does get revealed later on i don't remember it well was was her ship getting wrecked in accident I don't immediately remember any sort of foul play on that front. Cause I re- well, so I remember the sense that I was getting early on, and this might be wrong as, as it progresses, so don't take this in any sort of spoiler. If you're playing along with the game, this is just what I think in this moment. I almost got the sense that there was a purposeful like abandoning of the ship in order to cover up the slaves getting away, mm. but... Um, but they also seem to imply that the slaves getting away preceded the the shipwreck in some manner. So I don't know about yeah. that. I could be hazy on on the procession of events, but we do basically the, get this point here where Isabella has learned that the slaves were brought in under false pretenses, and she decides to free them. And that already did not endear her to um, 
to Castellan, but now the relic is also lost. Um, so she's hanging around. She's going to be keep looking for it, and we can say that we're willing to help her out um, and, and do some extra work for her. We actually there's another side quest that we can get that can kind of pinwheel off of this that from what i remember is not an especially deep quest but i could be mm. wrong in remembering that i don't think this is the one that i thought it was it's not the one involving the old templar right no yeah no okay. uh, no yeah because there's there's one that was like in the same area where you were looking into a thing involving an old templar who was who was looking after like disappearing women i don't think this was that one i think that that was a different one we do. We will talk next episode about all the the various different other main quests that you can get during this time. They're not related to recruiting a character, but I feel like the one that branched off of this was just kind of an extra quest to help you get yep. the gold that you need to get for this section. Um, yep. But overall, Isabella gets set up as this really interesting character. I think um, if if we look at her in the in the realm of how does she apply to the conflict that is supposed to be set out in front of us she's a little bit of an outlier in that she mm. doesn't outright fall along the lines of mage or templar which hey that could be hinting towards what sort of significance she may end up having to the plot <laughs> later on maybe that's not the conflict she's going to feature heavily in um but she is kind of a wild card in this game um and if you look at varic as being sort of the garris to your shepherd you know the the character that is always present that is always going to be around i don't think you cannot have varic in your game mm. in this right uh isabella is the opposite of that where it's you do have to make an effort to recruit her and uh you can miss her but having her in your party ends up informing a lot of stuff i also think her general arc is very very good Mm-hmm. especially depending on the different routes that you take and the way that affects later choices in the game. Um, I think she ends up being a very interesting character that I ultimately wish had both. I, I wish she had a larger role in Dragon Age canon because she, from what I remember, does not play into Inquisition very much. Um, no, she, uh, like I mean, she's, she's a multiplayer character. <laughs> she's what? You can play as her in the Dragon Age Inquisition multiplayer. Oh, well, yeah, but that's multiplayer. What I'm saying, that's like, that's it. That's basically oh, okay, the extent okay. of where she... I thought I thought that was being like, uh, you can play as her in the multiplayer. I was like, Ken, come on, nobody <laughs> remembers that game has multiplayer. <laughs> I literally never played it. I routinely forget that that game had multiplayer. <laughs> and we do a podcast about this series. <laughs> um, but she... I, I both in... I both wish she had a larger role to play, but I also enjoy the fact that she is off always kind of doing her own thing and she just pops in and out. And there's, there's a similar character that it's, it's funny that I'm mentioning this now. There's a similar character who has a similar relationship with the dragon age canon that we met in origins, who also just kind of pops in and out here and there who we're going to see again in this game at some point. Uh, who ends up having a really funny dialogue with Isabella relating to some more Origins throwbacks. And mm. that is a lot of, like, Isabella's, like, Origins throwbacks and kind of almost, like, winking at the camera jokes about, like, <laughs> that's Isabella. Um, but mm. what, one of the scenes I remember most from Dragon Age 2, my first playthrough, is actually the last conversation that you have with Isabella in her, like, companionship quest. 
mm. because it is such a you can see how much your relationship with this character has changed over the course of the game mm. and this character who previously was very much this like swashbuckling scoundrel and all that ends up opening up in a very real way that just stuck with me even to this day like i remember that scene very very clearly and i think isabella is just a really good character overall like i i'm interested to spend more time delving into the details of her character and and how that stuff like really critique that stuff but overall like i'm just happy to have her on board we've got the crew Mm -hmm. we've got the whole crew assembled except for one I didn't really get get a chance to ask you, like, how do you feel about Isabella as a character? Uh, I mean, kind of just what I said before that, like, I, I like really enjoy the dynamic between her and Sassy Hawk because, like, mm-hmm. you know, completely outside of the you know the realms of romance, just because like they are, they I feel like the most compatible of, like amongst the cast. Like, you know, have the the appeal of Fenris to me is that sort of friction that they have where it's nice to have this character that is always, like, on your wavelength. And, you know, Varric does that as well, but, like, doesn't reach the same chaotic levels of Isabella, which is, you know, I think her defining trait when it comes to that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'm just... I am excited to, like, watch that particular person who does not maybe, like, doesn't really care about the thing, what's going on, to become this person who kind of learns maybe she should, and it doesn't have, like, to, you know, look out for somebody other than herself... Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I yeah, mm. I'm just happy to have the whole crew back together. I'm definitely not ramping for time because I'm trying to pull this thing up. Okay, there we go. I got it pulled up, so we're all good. Ken, yeah, I promised we would have a game at the end here. You so, did. for the, for those of you who maybe follow our following uh, online, and you can do so by heading over to Twitter.com/slash NormandyFMShow. Uh, and also following, obviously, our individual accounts on Twitter. Uh, Ken is at ShepherdCDR, as in Shepherd Commander. And I am at Seamoosey, as in a moose of the sea. Uh, you can see that there was a meme that has been going around uh, that is one of those, like, pick your favorites of, of these different groups of characters. There was a Mass Effect one that both Ken and I engaged with today. And our answers are out there for you to see uh, which Mass Effect ship we would spend some time on. Uh, but there was, there was a piece of that that I thought that was interesting, and it said, there's already one for Dragon Age, so let's do one for Mass Effect. So I went, and I found it, the one that was Pick Your Dragon Age Camp. Oh no, and, I haven't seen it. And that's the best part, is I knew that Ken had probably not seen it, so... Off screen, I'm going to be uploading this to the Slack that Ken and I use. Uh, actually, I'll upload it to the Discord that we use to, to record our episodes here. Uh, so Ken can see it himself. And I'll read, as Ken is deciding uh, what exactly his choice will be, I will read the options out loud for those of you at home who would like to see it. Uh, we can also retweet this image out once the episode is live and all that. Uh, Ken, you should be able to see it now. I can see it. Yeah. Uh, so this game, for those of you who don't know, is there are six different camps, and you got to pick which one is your camp. You got to pick your group, your squad. Uh, so I'm gonna run down the list real quick. We've got six different camps. Camp one is Cole, Fenris, Ogren, 
Anders, and The Warden's Dog. That's an interesting choice. Camp 2 is Dorian, Meryl, Vivian, Sten, and Morrigan. Camp 3 is Varric, Sebastian, Zevran, Josephine, and Carver. Camp 4 is Solis, Liliana, Sarah, Talis, and Bethany. Camp 5 is Shale, Iron Bull, Cullen, Wynn, and Blackwall. And Camp 6 is Cassandra, Alistair, Isabella, Aveline, and Loghain. <laughs> Ken, I gotta be honest with you. My one initial... Of those. <laughs> my initial impression oh, is that one of these camps is much stronger than all the other camps. <laughs> uh... Mm. I um, so you, my, which one is that? Camp two for me. Okay, that that's where I'm headed to. Yeah, because you know when you look at this, you go, okay, you've got your favorites, the ones that you're kind of neutral on. They take them, take them or leave them. You know, they can be around, they cannot be around, and the ones that you would want to kick out immediately had you the power. Uh, in camp two, I see only one real dud in the form of Sten, and honestly. Sten will probably just take off of his own accord after a while. I I need to play Inquisition again to to really inform my feelings on Vivienne. I remember not feeling strongly about her one way or the other, so she's kind of in that neutral party for me. But uh, Dorian's great. I love Dorian. Mm. And then Meryl and Morgan are literally like my two canonical romances in Origins and 2. So that's already a pretty strong uh, camp mm. for me here. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are a few camps here that I feel are outright duds um as much as i like iron bull uh i mean everyone in camp five is okay but i don't have strong feelings about like shale iron bull colin win blackwall like they all kind of fall in the middle range for me with iron bull being the one that stands out the most uh and camp six is camp six is okay until you get to Loghain. <laughs> and then it's like, mm. oof. Why, why, why would you put Alistair and Loghain in the same place? Yeah, that's, like, that's a... That's You're asking a real, for a fight. That's a question there. Um, Camp 1's kind of a dud, too. If I, if I gotta be honest. I know your boy Fenris is in there. Mm. But Cole... Fenris and, and Andrew's like, why are, you, why are you putting these people that are gonna fight each other? Yeah, like, Fen- Fenris and Andrew's in the same camp seems like a bad idea. And also the Warden's dog just being in there it's kind of strange. i guess they had to fill out numbers because like talus is also in here and i'm mm-hmm. having trouble even remembering who talus is uh dragon age 2 dlc the uh oh, okay so i've not met i've not met them yet no no okay okay um i'm surprised i don't see some characters in here like i would have thought that scout harding would have appeared on this mm-hmm. somewhere because even though scout harding is not a romance character or even like a major player they are still a big part of uh of inquisition like big enough it, both in the fandom and in the game that i feel like they should have merited an inquisition here inquis- an inclusion here mm-hmm. <laughs> um they're also mm, mm, i'm surprised to not I, see any mm. awakening characters besides anders i know the awakening did not inspire a lot of love for the characters in that game and it's not like i'm going here like why aren't the two characters from witch hunt who i totally remember their names <laughs> why aren't they here uh but that's the way that these camps shook out i feel like camp two is the winner 
It's the winner by by a mile. Mm. Camp Six is the only one because I like Cassandra a lot. I like Isabella a lot. Alistair, Aveline are both. I like them, but I wouldn't. You know, I'm not going to like. They're not going to win a camp over for me single handedly. And then mm. freaking Logan's in there poisoning the pot. Mm. <laughs> if you swap Logan <laughs> with someone less offensive, like if you threw in. I don't know, let's say a Sebastian or something in there, or a Carver in there, or like a Josephine in there, I'd, I'd go Camp 6. But mm. otherwise, Camp 2, like, clearing away. For me, I'm like, as I'm looking all over this, all of my favorites are spread out, like, one per camp. Mm-hmm. So I gotta just go with, like, where is my number one? Where is my man who I am with until the end? So I'm going to camp two strictly for Dorian, mm-hmm. and you know Meryl's a chill person to have as a friend. You, you got and... some, you got some good carry-ons there. Yeah. You know, there's there's depth to that roster. You know, and then there's Sten, but you know there's depth to that roster. Uh, that is a weirdly mage-heavy camp. Now that I look mm. at it, which is really weird. It's like four mages and then Sten. <laughs> like the complete opposite of a mage <laughs> like you're just ensuring that he has nothing to talk about yeah like like camp six is all mostly like kind of paladin characters except for isabella camp three is a lot of the archers um except for like carver and josephine i mean i guess zevran depending on how you like equip him they they do kind of like are all the elves in camp four solace and sarah uh, are there Fenris is in one oh yeah Fenris is yeah yeah I was like, that's a weird delineation to make. Um, it's interesting. I just wanted to throw that out there because I think mm. these sorts of things are fun. But I had not. I actually was just now seeing that image as well because I was legitimately like, I'm going to search for it on social media while we're doing the episode so I go in as blind as possible too. And I now regret putting it in here because that is a disappointing camp list. Camp 2, all the way, baby. <laughs> uh, that's going to do it for our episode here today uh next week we will be talking about as i pull open the pinned items in our special channel so we can have our lovely schedule up that we're definitely holding to as much as possible we're going to be recruiting oh ken we gotta have a talk (laughs) Uh, okay and this is this is maybe pertinent to the listeners at home so you can recruit sebastian in act one yes what happens if you did all the side quests for Sebastian, but you didn't necessarily recruit Sebastian? Um, can you recruit I'm him in Act sure. 2? I would think so, because he's DLC. Okay, well, we're going to find out the answer to that question before the next episode. So, uh, mm. my experience... God, I'd, I swear to God, I thought I did all the Sebastian stuff, because I did all of the duty quests. And I remember, because they made me laugh, because they were called duty. And... <laughs> oh boy uh so we're gonna be on an adventure next week folks if i have to replay you know like literally the part that i'm at in that game is like right after the the end of act one so if i have to replay one section of act one that's not like a heartbreaker for me but uh that's interesting because i was pretty sure i cleared all that stuff pretty well it's probably because it was buried in the dlc list and that thing lists Mm. like every piece of dlc that you have uh so well we'll see about that i'll i'll look into that tonight i'll do that tonight make sure that that's all good to go uh we'll also be doing all the gold gathering quests so basically 
basically all the main quests, let's say, that could have led up to uh, the the conclusion of Act 1. Uh, I don't know all of the names of them off the top of my head, but they are all listed as main quests in the quest log, so we'll cover those. Uh, I don't think there are many secondary quests that we need to spend time on, but uh, always subject to change. This one, again, this is we're getting past the more structured uh, form of Origins into what is a much more fluid game with a lot more side quests, and God knows once we get to Inquisition, this is going to get a lot weirder, so... In general, we're going to have a very like set topic, and then there might be things that evolve around that. You know how it is. And for all of you who do know how it is, you've been listening. All as always, patreon.com slash normandyfm. You listen, you tune in, and some some of you help support us, help keep the lights on around here, pay those pesky hosting costs. Some of you even donate a tier that gets you a shout out every week. So for those of you out there, Kevin Kulikowski, Ginny Wu, Chris Johns, Anthony Mathias, thank you so much for tuning in and for especially donating at that tier. Love having y'all support. I think we're getting closer and closer to that Jade Empire tier, Ken. Like, I haven't checked it today uh well i think we actually just lost something so we are not as close as we were well or last week but then that's encouragement still for you out there if you want this to keep going to jade empire you gotta donate to patreon.com slash normandy fm otherwise if you don't have the means to donate right now we get it uh times are tough and it is what it is so if you just want to listen in these episodes will always be available free you just get them a little bit earlier if you are a patron uh, but if you want to keep listening along for free, you can follow us on twitter.com slash normdfmshow and through all of our various feeds on apps like Spotify. Uh, we'll see you next time. I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully I have not royally screwed up the playthrough once already in, in this show. Oh, for Ken, for myself, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. On We have watched and waited 